The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And our guest today is J.D. Gershbein. He's the CEO of Owlish Communications, or as he's better known, he's the LinkedIn Catalyst. And he earned that moniker because of his work helping companies and professionals like you to use LinkedIn to their advantage. And J.D. is considered one of the world's top thought leaders on LinkedIn. He's a pioneer in the design and delivery of LinkedIn education. And his first book, The LinkedIn Edge, Creating a Psychological Advantage in Social Business, is due out this year. Welcome to the show today, J.D. Thank you, Kelly. Pleasure to be here. Okay, let's get right to it. You are known, as I mentioned, as the LinkedIn Catalyst. How did you get that moniker? Well, that's a good question. How on earth did I get that moniker? I, I think I spent way too much time on LinkedIn at this point, but uh, uh, all good time, all good hours. Um, you know, early into the work, the, the real sell was uh, just on, on getting people to be aware of LinkedIn. And, and through the years that this website has really come into its own, especially, I'd say, within the last two or three years, starting from about beginning of 2011, uh, I think we all know now that professionals live on LinkedIn, yet so many people misunderstood it. They, they looked at it as some great mystery or some kind of digital jungle that they couldn't navigate. And, and I decided that my approach was going to be one of, of, of more uh, of a gentle nature and to um, grant them autonomy in exploring the site on their own and showing them what's possible on the site as opposed to beating them over the head and saying that they must be on it to survive mm-hmm. in business today. So I think that giving them the leverage and encouraging them to discover it on their own, I, I kept hearing about how I did motivate and I did help people transform their professional lives and I and create positive change. And, and that was the reaction that I was looking for, and that is called catalysis in chemistry, and those who catalyze are called catalysts. So there you have it. Okay, the LinkedIn catalyst. Now, speaking <laughs> of transformation, LinkedIn itself has undergone quite a few changes since its inception, and mm-hmm. some people might even say it's been confusing. Uh, there's more features that have been added. There's been features taken away that some people had come to rely on. So can you talk to us about where LinkedIn is now compared to how it started, and where do you think it's heading? Great question, great lead-in, and I think it kind of dovetails into a discussion on change and change management. And uh, to, to be... Adaptable in business today uh, really is something that ensures our survival at this stage. Uh, uh, we have to look to these sites now that warehouse our personal and professional information. Uh, these are the sites. This is a disruptive technology, and those who who choose to learn it and uh, move with it as it moves uh, can expect positive outcomes. And I think what what we see with LinkedIn is a period of radical change. Uh, really starting again in that 2011 year where the 
the, the look of the site changed. The functionality was changing. They were bringing in features. They were experimenting. I, I don't know if they were listening to the user base or not, Kelly, but uh, we saw new things happen almost on a regular basis. Uh, September 24, 2012, they introduced endorsements. What's the deal with those endorsements? Mm -hmm. And that got people talking. And uh, I think everything is kind of uh, transforming to a more community-based type of interaction from which you can drive one-on-one -on -one conversations. And really, that's what LinkedIn's changes are all about today, and that is successful leveraging of one-on-one -on -one conversations, conversations that are meaningful for both parties. Right. Let's stick with the, one of the things that you said about the endorsements. I hear a lot about that from people. I mean, we, we talk a lot about LinkedIn on our, in our staff, for example. We're all professionals, and we're always trying to give each other tips on how to use it better with other business owners that I come into contact with. And inevitably, this whole thing about the endorsements, every day I get a little update from LinkedIn. I've got a premium account, and so I get all this stuff every morning from them. And inevitably, four or five new endorsements. And mine actually seem to be somewhat relevant, although I've heard people say, how did I get endorsed for that? So what's up with these endorsements that are tangential tangential at best? Right. Um, and, and I felt the same way. When I first saw endorsements uh, hit my inbox, uh, I didn't know what to make of them. It was uh, uh, one of the only changes that LinkedIn did not announce beforehand. It just kind of happened. Right. Um, and, and I think there's no feature more polarizing on LinkedIn than the endorsement issue. Some people... Uh, really believe that they're important and valuable, and others think they uh, are an artificial estimation of someone's value in business. Uh, what we do know, since we're now uh, over two years, uh, almost two years removed from them uh, at the time of this taping, is that they do have validity in terms of search under the skill set, and that the more endorsements we do accrue for our relevant skills, the more relevant we become in search, so hmm. that there is a, a search engine component to them. Um, and, and also what we're seeing is uh, people are able to now rearrange their skills. So yes. They're not dictated by having the, the grid of, of competence kind of populate on its own. We can now adjust our skills so that ideally if people are scrolling down to the belly of our profile page, they can endorse us for the skills that we really want to be endorsed for, mm -hmm. um, as, a, as opposed to being endorsed for skills we don't have by people we don't know. Right. which uh, I think everybody is experiencing right now. And I, I think there needs to be a, a, an intermediary step here somewhere along the line. And I, I do hope that LinkedIn takes a look at the validity of these endorsements and maybe refreshes the platform to include uh, you know, some kind of, of verification or validation that I, that I know, say, you have this particular skill and that I have witnessed it. Ah. Well, that's that's an interesting point that you bring up because – it strikes me that there might even be some sort of a, an intelligent kind of uh, suggestion go going on or that's at work behind these because sometimes I log into my LinkedIn page and all of a sudden I get all of these suggestions for who I might endorse and what I might endorse them for. And so mm -hmm. it seems that LinkedIn is doing some of its own intelligence work to make these suggestions. Is, is that true? Uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, they pool content from uh, your text in your LinkedIn profile, from your from your demographics, from your geographical area, from your industry, from your markets, from keywords in your LinkedIn profile, and they kind of quote unquote assume that you have these skills. Uh, 
Uh, and if you're endorsed by people for, for those types of skills that you'd rather not be endorsed for or that you truly do not possess, it's very likely that they saw this on the blue banner when your profile page downloads and they're just kind of spontaneously directed to certain skills and just kind of endorse you, uh, you know, it's almost a surface acknowledgement or, or, or I don't know what to endorse Kelly for, so, oh, she does digital marketing. I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Well, let, let's talk about your new book. You've been classified as a social business psychologist, and obviously you're a specialist in the area of personal branding. LinkedIn comes into play there, of course. So one thing that fascinates me about your approach is that you are able to apply neuroscience and psychology to your LinkedIn consulting and coaching pro- practice, which is very fascinating because a lot of times you think about face-to-face encounters when you are applying principles of neuroscience and psychology. And, of course, this is all through an electronic profile. So talk, mm-hmm. to, us, talk to us about that. Sure. Um, it all goes back to my background. And growing up in a scientific household, I, I always question the world around me, Kelly. I, I was very curious as a kid and uh, always logged long hours in the laboratory. My, my father was a dedicated man of medicine. Uh, and my mother was uh, also a clinical scientist, so there's always been that experimental nature I have. And when I saw people start to, quote-unquote, infiltrate my space, uh, everybody's a LinkedIn expert now, uh, and I saw this kind of coming back in, I'd say, maybe 2009, 2010, I started making the break from what was then traditional LinkedIn presentations. Uh, I've been speaking a long time would go out to various groups and start showing them the how-tos of LinkedIn. And, and and that got kind of derivative and redundant. And everybody seems to be talking about the same stuff relative to this site. So mm-hmm. I, I felt I needed to study the marketplace and see how could I drive a niche differently. And that was through my neuroscience and psychology training and going cognitive and really explaining to people that we internalize everything we see on social networking sites. And until we externalize it, we can't make a positive outcome happen. So it's the internalization, the decision-making, the behavior, the critical thinking, uh, creating situational awareness, and really looking at what's playing out on this home page or on the profiles of the prospects you're trying to uh, cultivate. And, and really, I mean really focusing on, on creating the types of dialogue that you want in business. And how else can you explain it? how you look at raw data on a screen, process it into business intelligence, and use it to make a sale or provide a service or get a job. And that became remarkable to me. And I wanted to study how the brain interprets that information, what sites in the brain are activated during things as simple as facial recognition, or or do we learn differently on an Internet page as opposed to a regular page, Mm -hmm. and and the role of video and visual images in in how we do business with others. And, And that's what's driving commerce now, is we're literally buying people on spec based on how they present on a document like their LinkedIn profile. Oh, that, there's a lot of truth in that, definitely. So when you are out in the business world, uh, acting in your role as a corporate trainer, what is it that you're seeing with the companies that retain you? What are some of the pain points they're experiencing, and how do you help them? Well, the one pain point that consistently is confessed to me, Kelly, is that this social stuff has exceeded the bandwidth of the CMO or anybody they have in-house. 
Uh, years ago, what companies did in response to the digital revolution was they scrambled around and they filled up big binders full of pages and stuck it in a big black notebook, put it on everybody's shelf and called it the social media policy. Mm-hmm. And uh, what they realized was this was a book that was never going to be looked at. Right. Uh, they, they wanted people to behave well on the site, to perform uh, you know, tasks that would advance the company's initiatives and be in alignment with, with the objectives and all that. But nobody really figured it out, and they weren't making the right connections, and they, they weren't generating leads across the B2B space. So uh, that's really the biggest pain point of all, is that companies want to connect people to people and people to knowledge. Mm-hmm. And they have knowledge, and they have content, and LinkedIn now is a very vibrant, robust forum through which companies can engage companies. Well, on that note, we are going to take a quick break. When we get back, I want to get down into some tactical questions about some of the mistakes you see people making on LinkedIn and how to make your LinkedIn profile great in this new publishing platform that they've introduced. So you don't want to miss the rest of this interview. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio on blogtalkradio.com. We're talking with J.D. Gershbein, a LinkedIn expert. We'll be right back. You want real results. You want your efforts to count for something, and you don't have time to waste. We understand. That's why the Executive MBA program at Benedictine College is the program more than 400 alums say help them accelerate their careers and enhance their approach to management and leadership. You're ready immediately to contribute to your organization's success. We invite you to check out benedictine.edu slash EMBA to learn more about our program and what it has to offer. morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here this morning with J.D. Gershbein. He is a LinkedIn expert. In fact, he has been called uh, one of the thought leaders, top thought leaders on LinkedIn, and has earned the title of the LinkedIn Catalyst. He's been talking with us today about some of the changes that LinkedIn has undergone during its inception, some of the different things that you can use LinkedIn to accomplish. But I want to get a little more tactical right now, J.D., and let's let's talk, for example, about some of the biggest mistakes you see people doing on LinkedIn, making on LinkedIn. Sure. I'll preface by saying, Kelly, that I always like to focus on the good and reinforce the positive behaviors with my clients and students because I think that if people have to know that they're always on the right track with this. And and so many people are out there talking about the mistakes and the blunders and, and the, the trap doors and the pitfalls. And, and it's important to approach it from that perspective, but I also think in, in the next you know, couple of minutes here, we'll, we'll guide people to, to really good outcomes. So the first mistake I see, which is easily rectifiable, is to have a warm, welcoming, endearing, and very professional headshot of yourself on your LinkedIn profile. I I can't uh, underscore the value strongly enough because it is your most salient brand differentiator. It's going to follow you all across LinkedIn. It's going to drive sentiment. It's going to brand you on impact, uh, as will your professional headline. The two in tandem work on that LinkedIn marquee to really give you your LinkedIn footprint and and let you get legs on the site. Uh, I see a lot of people not uh, leveraging the value of that professional headline, which is the text that is going to come up uh, most highly in search. 
we want to make sure that uh, it's keyworded properly, but we also want to have a little bit of humanity and talk about the type of work we do in that professional headline. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, it's a job description or a title. Right. I mean, if you're the executive vice president of sales, there's not too many liberties you can take. <laughs> you're not going to reinvent the wheel. Right. Um, another, another mistake I see is that people don't know there's a summary section for the LinkedIn profile. True. Affords them with a bounty of great content for brand storytelling. I, I see a great mistake is that people bypass the summary and start loading up the experience section with stuff about their company, when in fact your LinkedIn profile is an individual marketing platform. It's for you. It's to trumpet your story. And the last point I'll make is that all of this, Kelly, is toward the top of the page. Important because when a page downloads, when your LinkedIn profile page downloads, visitors to your profile uh, are not going to last there very long unless they see some good, compelling content. And if you've got the great headshot, if you've got a professional headline that does brand you instantly, and you've got some good pros in that summary section, you suddenly become a story worth reading, and they will invest the time in learning more about you. Right. Well, and and you hit some really good key points because a lot of times I will go on LinkedIn if I'm going to be meeting with somebody for the first time, and I don't know what they look like, so when I'm going to meet them for coffee, I'm trying to get an idea of, of who it is that I'm meeting and who I need to recognize. And then when you do just have a LinkedIn profile that goes into the experience as opposed to being uh, the summary part, it's just a resume a lot of times with titles, and it does not give me as a LinkedIn user myself, it does not give me much to go on from a conversation standpoint. So, uh, very, very, very key points, and that leads us right. Mm-hmm. That leads us right into the next thing. And what do you think makes a LinkedIn profile just really great? <laughs> We're all Why do enough. some stand out more than others? Yes, there you go. They have a kind of an energy that leaps off the screen, don't they, Cal? They do. Well, you know what? There's that kind of intangible essence. I don't know what it is. I think it's kind of the interplay of forces uh, that are really designed to have an emotional impact on the viewer. Uh, it, it, as you said, you, you made some, some solid points there. Nobody wants to read a resume. Uh, everybody walks on water in their resume. Everybody <laughs> parts the Red Seas in their resume. But on a LinkedIn profile, you are uniquely human. It's your touch. It's your art. It's your science. Key people into the story. Don't just tell them you're a dynamic, results-oriented, motivated problem solver. Tell them what makes you a dynamic, motivated, results-oriented problem solver. Tell the problems you solve and, and talk about why you solve them. And go back to Simon Sinek. What's your why? And I think that the more authentic and genuine people are in their professional story, the more meaningful conversations they'll extract from people who are viewing their profile, they'll be into the kind of dialogue they want. Okay, so we just talked about profiles, the personal profile, and there are, in fact, a couple of other things on LinkedIn that, well, they can help you personally. They can also be very valuable tools for a company. Uh, One of those is uh, the groups, LinkedIn groups, and the other is the company pages. So let's talk about the groups first. They, too, they've undergone a lot of changes, and I know, though, that a lot of people feel the groups are an important piece of LinkedIn strategy, but they're just really not sure which groups to join, uh, what to do when they mm-hmm. join them. A lot of people have said, you know, I joined some groups, I gave up because people just post spam things on them. So talk to us about how we can have a good 
experience with LinkedIn groups, whether we're a company that is creating a group or whether we're an individual who's wanting to join a group. Sure. Would you like to succeed in the LinkedIn groups? Yes, of course. Here's what you do. Play by the rules. When you're participating in group discussions, answer the question directly. Don't hijack the conversation to your amazing blog of amazingness. <laughs> really get into the thread. Let the thread flow. Be a contributor. Uh, it doesn't have to be valuable all the time, but just doing things right in the groups gets you noticed. Don't start a discussion by leading out to your landing page. Uh, don't make it a spring-loaded promotion or uh, an overtly shameless ad for yourself. Really manage the community. And the group managers are really under the gun, Kelly. And they've been putting out a lot of fires over the last couple of years because people are just shamelessly uh, promoting themselves. It, it, it's become the wild, wild west at a certain point. Some groups don't tolerate that. There's a zero-tolerance policy on any of that type of crap. So if you go into groups like the Harvard Business Review or uh, a group that I manage called Link Strategies, uh, you, you're really asked to stay on topic. And if you don't, you'll get everything from a little digital slap on the wrist uh, to being removed from the community. Okay, so play by the rules, uh, be a good contributor, and and don't spam. Don't don't lead with promotions. Yes. Yeah, because so. your 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 LinkedIn profile is going to be set up for the reactions you want. So people will see, wow, who's that actually contributing to the conversation? Well, there's an immediate jerk reflex. Go right to your LinkedIn profile, and then you've got them set up for lead generation. Uh, you were also asking about the company pages. Yes. A minute or two on those. I know I know you're on a time schedule. But um, the company pages, um, on, on May 14, 2014, LinkedIn removed the products and services features uh, which came to the consternation of the user base. Uh, a lot of man hours went into building up those company pages. True. And sometimes those were outsourced uh, to, to, to people. So uh, they lost time and money. Uh, but, but they're filling in the gap with what are called showcase pages. But the other piece to the company presence in, in terms of trying to generate a following and really uh, allowing the uh, LinkedIn nation to focus on a company is LinkedIn publishing. And this is going to play a very important role, not just from the individual side, but from the company side. Okay. Now, one of the things that I have found fascinating just in the last few weeks is the whole publishing platform. It's still being mm -hmm. rolled. It's still being rolled out. And I know a couple of people who have been invited in the, the, that initial rollout, and they're pretty excited about it. So, talk to us about what that means. How can the average person on LinkedIn become an influencer by using that publishing platform. I guess first you have to be invited by LinkedIn to do it, and then if you are invited, how do you work it so that you truly do become an influencer? Sure, and now we're into the realm of, of what's called content marketing. Absolutely. Selling your, selling your story. So you develop this brand image, you've created the content around it, and now LinkedIn is giving you what could be the most appropriate and most effective channel uh, they've ever conceived for disseminating the message. So the challenge becomes, okay, I've got to write first. Obviously, you know, if you're going to influence, you have to write in an influential style. You have to, you have to really convey your professional value. And, and if you're really interested in building a thought leadership platform or being acknowledged as a subject matter expert, you've got to start compiling the body of work. So eventually, everybody is going to have this feature um, 
I was given it a couple months ago. I have a couple of posts on there. I also blog for the Huffington Post and soon for Forbes. Mm-hmm. So in my case, I have a lot of content that needs to go around, and, and I write very specialized content for LinkedIn. But for the quote-unquote average LinkedIn user who is eventually going to get this, it, it's so important because it gives him or her a voice on this site, and that's what we're all crying for. We want to cut through the clutter. We want to have our target audience notice us and review our profiles and do business with us, and we want to play in the same level field as the big boys. And now we can with LinkedIn Publishing. Right. Now, for someone who, because I I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I believe that initially this was rolled out to 25,000 of their users, and they are Mm -hmm. gradually extending the invitation to others. Now, let's say I'm someone who's listening, feel like I have a lot of good content to offer now and don't want to wait for Mm -hmm. an invitation. Is there a way to shorten that wait? Well, it's at the discretion of LinkedIn, and you can message them through their help center. And they have set up portals, I'm sure, for handling this. Uh, I'm not quite sure what's on the receiving end, and your question is a a great one. I'd certainly be interested in hearing what people have to say about it. I I do have some clients who are just chomping at the bit to get this feature, and they don't have it yet. Mm -hmm. And they're just waiting and waiting and waiting. (laughs) Right. Uh, but But the day that it shows up, you'll get an email from LinkedIn, You'll look on your homepage and you'll see that little pen icon yes. next to the paperclip icon, and and that says, "Hey, let it rip." We're <laughs> waiting. Okay, so you are going to be in Kansas City offering a a talk. It's actually a full day event that features you and all of your LinkedIn expertise on June the twentieth. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, that right there is just testimonial to the power of LinkedIn. Um, out of the blue, uh, several months ago, I got a call from uh, Brendan Silbert, uh, who had introduced me to to Joyce Lehman, and we're in conversation uh, just suddenly about bringing me to Kansas City, where they are business and community leaders down there, and they've built a couple days around me, which I'm just, just so grateful for. I mean, it's just LinkedIn in action, and they have appreciated what I've put out there over the years, and, and they wanted to avail their community to this knowledge. So we've structured what we feel are probably the most empowering use of two days in Kansas City for business leaders, for entrepreneurs, for business owners, for sellers, Mm -hmm. uh, for professional service providers. And, of course, we all know that we have many brothers and sisters in transition who are contemplating their net venture, and uh, hopefully I can help some of them as well. Exactly. We didn't even talk about that use of LinkedIn, but obviously... That's something that our listeners who are in the Kansas City area or region can come to hear you talk about. And, again, that's going to be on June the 20th. And if you're interested, you can go out to salesworks.com and get signed up. That's sales with a Z. Salesworks works with an S. Salesworks.com and get registered for that. It's going to be held over at the former St. Paul's School of Theology at 5302 East Truman Road in Kansas City, Missouri. So we hope that all of you go out and learn more about LinkedIn through JD on June the 20th. And as we conclude here today, JD, any one last final piece of advice that people could put to work right now to improve their LinkedIn presence? If I may, Kelly, I do have a, a little statement that I hope will inspire and motivate in some way, shape, or form. And that is, folks, if you knew, if you had proof that LinkedIn would work for you, you would do it. 
Well, I'm here to tell you that it will work. It can work, and it does work. So do it. Spend the energy. Study the site. Don't let a negative thought enter your head. I never let a negative thought enter mine. I always thought LinkedIn was cool. I always expected it to work, and it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. So there you have it. Just do it. Thank you so much for your time today, J.D., and again, come out and see him on June the 20th. Register at salesworks.com. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit us at www.ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.